Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. It was a crazy weekend. Let's break it all down. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, June 12th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and the returning Chris Towers. That's right. He is still on this podcast. Today on the show, injury replacements for both Pete Alonso and Jordan Alvarez. Gunnar Henderson had a breakout weekend, a vintage performance for Kyle Hendricks, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Chris, you are back. How was life? I'm back for the last time. I know we've had this like four different times over the last month and a half. It's been a crazy couple of weeks for me or month and a half, I guess, six weeks. Uh, but I am back. I'm, I'm here. And uh, yeah, I was in South Florida for a little while. It was hot. I'm back. I got children in my apartment this week. It's weird. That's strange. My nieces are staying with me. That's been fun. But I'm here. I'm back moving forward. So, uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's go. I'm happy that you pointed out that they were your family, not that you just have random just kids. Random yeah. Yeah. Just left the door open, you know. And even just the way you started the sentence, I got children. <laughs> like, where is the sentence going? Uh, uh, anyway, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. I don't believe what I just saw. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go over to you, Scotty. Me? Me? Yeah. Why not? Let's okay. do it. That's fine. <clears throat> Uh, so I will do Garrett. With, you said it was a crazy weekend. First of all, <laughs> I actually don't think it was a crazy weekend. It was, it was a rather tame weekend. I disagree. Waiver wire was, was pretty, pretty lame in most of my leagues, I have to say. Uh, but one player who caught my interest from this weekend was Garrett Whitlock, who of course is a familiar name to people who play fantasy. He's, he's been, he's been a perpetual tease, I'd say, since he first moved into the rotation for the Red Sox last year. 
but he's firmly in the rotation now. He's, you know, had a couple of IL stints. He's healthy now. And he's doing some interesting things. So at the Yankees on Friday, Garrett Whitlock allowed one earned run in six and a third innings, seven hits, one walk, six strikeouts, a pretty good start. He had 18 strikeouts on 88 pitches. That's a really good rate and uncharacteristically. Swinging strikes. You said strikeouts, guy. Eight, oh, sorry, 18 swinging strikes <laughs> on 88 pitches. That'd That's be, a really be, good rate. Yeah, that'd be a good reason to lead the show. If it was yes, 18 it would. strikeouts. 18 swinging strikes on 88 pitches, and uncharacteristically. Ristically good rate for Garrett Whitlock. Ten of them came on 30% sweepers. He, he threw a sweeper 30% of the time. He was responsible for 10 of the 18 whiffs. Now, he... Notice I said sweeper and not slider, and there's, of course, some crossover between those two pitches. Sometimes it seems like StatCast reclassifies them on a whim. But this pitch... This slider slash sweeper that Garrett Whitlock is throwing is four miles per hour slower than the slider he threw last year. So I I think it's fair to say it's a different pitch and is suddenly his best swing and miss pitch. For the year, he has a better than 50% whiff rate on it. And uh, in this start, he threw it a lot more. Like I said, 30% of the time. I've always been kind of a downer about Whitlock in the starter starting role because like even even when he was this dominant set, setup guy for the Red Sox he wasn't a big bat misser and normally when you're you're extended over more innings you you become even less of a bat misser so what does the upside really look like for Garrett Whitlock and and like I said he's been a perpetual tease so uh you know he hasn't delivered huge results in fantasy but this pitch might be a game changer for him and I I feel like this start we could point back to this start maybe as the time Garrett Whitlock emerged as a legitimate fantasy asset. So if he's out there in your leagues, certainly in points leagues, you know, he's relief pitcher eligible. That makes him extra in- interesting. Might be worth giving him a second look. Maybe he's just teasing us again, but I- I'm, I'm going to look into Garrett Whitlock. Yeah. Again. A few things I'd like to point out, too. I was at that game on Friday. He looked dominant. Want to point out, again, the Yankees lineup without Aaron Judge and without Harrison Bader. It's not great. So I think you kind of take that. It's a bad lineup. It's it's bad. It's a bad lineup. Uh, Whenever Willie Calhoun, as much as I love the guy, is hitting leadoff or batting third in a lineup, you know it's probably not a great lineup. Uh, And, Scott, you pointed out that Whitlock has been better in his career as a reliever versus a starter. Uh, and just to break down that split, uh, as a starter in his career, a 4.44 ERA, 1.26 whip, and as a reliever, 2.24 ERA with a .99 whip. So much better as a reliever so far. Uh, but this is interesting, the sweeper for him, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. There were other Sparps that pitched pretty well this weekend also. Tanner Houck, also up against the Yankees, six innings of two-run ball, six strikeouts with 14 swinging strikes. He's another one that, you know, he flashes some upside here or there, but he's just been wildly inconsistent. Uh, Johan Oviedo has allowed three earned runs or fewer in six straight starts. And then Clark Schmidt on Sunday Night Baseball, five and a third, one run, four strikeouts to zero walks. Uh, Scott, how would you rank that group of Sparps in particular? Clark Schmidt, Johan Oviedo, Tanner Houck, and Garrett Whitlock. Well, I'm going to put Whitlock number one after this start, after what we saw with that pitch in this start. Uh, I'll, I'll put Hauk second, and like he has, 
he has a great swinging strike rate. Every start, he has a great swinging strike rate. And it takes me a long time to fall out of love with those kinds of pitchers. You know, whatever whatever timetable it took me to fall out of love with Patrick Sandoval, I guess that's what we're working with with for, for Tanner Houck, too. Uh, but the consistency hasn't been there in terms of everything else. Uh, his two starts prior to this one were pretty bad, even though he got a lot of swinging strikes. But I remain intrigued, even though I wouldn't call Tanner Houck must roster. So he's second. And then the other two I don't care that much about. Oviedo and who was the other one? Clark Schmidt. Schmidt. Schmidt's been getting better results recently, but not good enough to really move the needle for me. I'll go Oviedo slightly ahead of Schmidt, but they're both much lower than the two Red Sox. Yeah, I agree on the Red Sox. And if you're just looking for pitchers to stream this week, Whitlock is going up against the Rockies in Fenway. So you get them out of Coors Field. And Tanner Houck is going up against the Yankees again next weekend in Fenway. And obviously Aaron Judge will not be back by then. Chris, let's slide over to you. Oh my goodness gracious, from the weekend. Yeah, let's talk about two... Interesting prospects who got the call last week, A.J. Smith-Shaver and Andrew Abbott. And I know we like to get excited about prospects. We're going to talk a lot about Ali De La Cruz soon and, and some other guys. But I don't think A.J. Smith-Shaver especially, but also Andrew Abbott, look particularly interesting right now. Uh, both of them, Abbott's results are pretty good. 11.2 scoreless innings through his first two starts. Shaver... I mean, his it was, what, one run in five and a third innings against the Nationals in his first start? Am I remembering that correctly? That was two unearned runs yeah. over five and uh, a third, yep. Two strikeouts, six swinging strikes in that one. And I thought, just giving the benefit of the doubt with the Braves, given that you know they are an aggressive organization, they, they prioritize stuff with their pitchers, the fact that he's 20 years old, started the season at high A, made the leap to the majors, this is A.J. Smith-Shaver, I just kind of assumed like, okay, this guy's got to get, got to have really good stuff. Like this is a situation where, you know, he was, I think he wasn't drafted as a pitcher or he was a two store two uh two sport guy or two way yeah, guy. He didn't really start pitching until senior year of high school. Big athletic guy. I just kind of assumed this was a guy who was going to come up and, you know, maybe it wasn't 99, maybe it wasn't 101 like Spencer Strider, but I assumed like, okay, he's got good stuff and he's just been learning to harness it. That's not what we've seen from him. He's got a 93-mile-an-hour average fastball velocity in this start. That's below average for a right-handed starter at this point, which for those of you who are new to baseball, that has not always been the case. Averaging 93 miles per hour used to meant you were a pretty hard thrower. That is not the case anymore. His slider is interesting. It's this weird, like, really low spin pitch that gets a lot of... Uh, a lot of drop from gravity, not necessarily from spin. And like the results in the minors were really good. But I I look at what AJ Smith Shaver did in, in his first start, especially, and just ugh, I don't I don't see much to get excited about. It just kind of looks like a fourth or fifth starter, which for a real life baseball team, getting that from a 20-year-old who started at high A is really impressive. But for fantasy, I just I don't see much in AJ Smith Shaver. The the various stuff metrics aren't particularly impressed with him. And kind of the same thing for Andrew Abbott, who had just absolutely bonkers numbers in the minors. 90 strikeouts and 54 innings between double A AA and triple A. Obviously, much better in double A. 
using that like tacky ball, the, the, you know, there were some concerns that that was kind of skewing the numbers a little bit. Uh, 11 and two thirds scoreless innings in his first two career starts. However, just 10 strikeouts, seven walks, not a lot of swings and misses. The stuff metrics again, don't love him. I think it's an 86 stuff plus uh, according to, or through his first two starts. And so it's just both of these AJ Smith and Andrew Abbott just seem like guys. They, they don't seem particular. It's not a Mason Miller situation well, uh, who, you know, Obviously wasn't perfect and then got hurt. So, you know, he wasn't yeah. a big hit, but it's it's not the kind of thing watching both of these two guys pitch where I'm like, oh, I need these guys on my roster, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been kind of surprised by how big some of the bids have been on them and, and some of those 15-team analyst yeah. leagues where the, you know, Fab only runs Sunday night. Um, and, and so we get a chance to compare, you know, uh, how much, how big the bids have been on these? Because I agree, these aren't like Tanner Bybee or uh, even like Bobby Miller. Like, yeah. They're just not that caliber. Not of Bryce Miller, even prospect. With AJ Smith Schalver, Schalver, I'm not a, I'm not ready to jump to that conclusion yet. I agree that the performance against the Nationals on Fridays was nothing to write home about. It was. It was good enough for a first major league start, but I expected him to get more strikeouts. The velocity, he doesn't normally average 93 on his fastball. That That's not in the scouting reports, but some of the, the data we do have from the minor leagues, he was averaging 95 on his fastball. I don't know why it's been slower mm-hmm. so far in the majors. I don't know if he's just being extra careful. I don't know what's going on there, but that's not, that doesn't have to be a permanent thing sure. for A.J. smith Schaffer. And, you know, if he, he does get that fastball up to closer to where he was throwing in the minors, maybe the results would look different. But I am definitely in sell-high mode on Andrew Abbott because the scout, like, the, the MO on him was, okay, not a lot of velocity, but, you know, he's, he's got this optimal vertical approach angle on the fastball that makes it really, you know, sort of like the the, the report on Joe Ryan makes it really mm-hmm. difficult to hit, gets a lot of swings and misses. That's why he had all those strikeouts in the minors. You know, pretty good breaking ball to pair with it. He has to miss bats in yeah. order to be effective because he's not, you know, the the stuff, like the raw stuff just isn't that good for Andrew Abbott. And so in his second start, that we saw a continuation of what we saw in the first start where he just wasn't missing that many bats. He missed, and, and on the fastball in particular, what's supposed to be his best pitch, he had one swinging strike on, I believe, 51 fastballs this weekend, did Andrew Abbott. Managed to get good results, okay. But I think he's playing with fire there. You mentioned the average exit velocity was very high. 96 miles per hour in this start. On his average exit velocity. Yeah, it, it doesn't get much worse than that. So that he got through five and two-thirds innings without giving up a run. Uh, yeah, I mean, the ERA through two starts is great for Andrew Abbott, and and that combined with the prospect type, combined with the minor league numbers, I think it's a good time to see what you can get for him because if, if he continues down this path, it could get a lot worse. Yep. <laughs> Only other thing I'll point out with A.J. Smith-Chauver going up against the Nationals in his first start on Friday, they have the third lowest strikeout percentage against right-handed pitchers this season, so they do put the ball in play quite a bit, and uh, if you're just looking at matchups for this upcoming week, Smith-Chauver at Detroit, obviously you know one of the best matchups 
in uh, baseball right now uh, in terms of pitchers. So, uh, yeah, we'll get back to the, the waiver wire pitchers in just a little bit. But I wanted to highlight two names here for me. Oh, my goodness gracious. And kind of a tag team of the two top prospects coming into the season. And that's Corbin Carroll and Gunnar Henderson. First and foremost with Corbin Carroll, he is just going wild right now. Three for yeah. five with a double dong on Friday. And then he went three for five again on Sunday. He added another stolen base. He is up to 13 home runs and 19 steals. Entering Sunday, he was the third best outfielder in head-to-head points leagues and in Roto. So, he, I mean, I know he's clearly the rookie of the year frontrunner. There's nobody I'm, I'm forgetting, right? He's No, he, he very clearly is, although I saw Ellie De La Cruz's betting odds are closer to Corbin Carroll yeah, than go they put, should go be. Go put some money on Corbin Carroll right. for that. Yes, uh, I agree. He's on pay, and he's, not, he's probably not going to continue this. But his current 150-game pace, 308 average, 116 runs, 32 homers, 81 RBI, 47 stolen bases. He's not just the rookie of the year frontrunner. He's a legitimate NL MVP candidate right now. Before today's game, he was fifth in the National League and wins above replacement, just .2 behind Ronald Acuna. Yeah. He, like, that's, like, he's a first-rounder, right? No, I mean, he's the way he's playing right now. He's a top five, top three pick next year. Those numbers that you read off, Trey Turner, those numbers you read off, Chris, just 150 game pace. It reminded me a lot of breakout Ronald Acuna, right? Like, yeah, basically what Acuna is doing right now. He's he's really not far off from that. And he's doing that as a rookie. So Corbin Carroll has been obviously ridiculous. And, you know, we've been waiting all season for signs from Gunnar Henderson. And we've seen some stretches here to there, but not enough consistency Hopefully, this is what gets him on track. I think maybe we could look back at this weekend later on in the season and say, that was the weekend. That was the one that got Gunnar Henderson on track this year. He had mm-hmm. nine hits, including two homers and two steals. He's let off two straight games for the Baltimore Orioles. And the home run that he hit on Sunday, 113.8 exit velocity, 462 feet. So, seems like yeah. the game might be slowing down a little bit for uh, Gunnar. In the month of June, he's hitting 458. Four homers, two steals, a 1480 OPS, and making a lot more contact. So. And I'll point out that this was about the time last year when Bobby Witt took off in his mm-hmm. rookie season after a very uh, rough stretch. Now, uh, Gunnar Henderson did enter this year with a little bit of major league experience that Bobby Witt didn't have at the start of last year. But still, I, I mean, you, this kind of talent um, and – it, we've we've talked before how in recent years it seems like it's taking longer for prospects to adapt to the majors. It, it they could fire it up mid season like this and and be a force to be reckoned with for the rest of the year and, and hopefully Gunnar Henderson's going that route. As for Corbin Carroll, like are you guys ready to move him past like Julio Rodriguez, Mike Trout in your rest of season rankings, Kyle Tucker, do you put him past him? Kyle Tucker's an interesting one because I was just thinking about it today. I saw it's like 774 OPS, I think for the season. It's like, I feel like we've mentioned Kyle Tucker's name like once since the start of the season. And we haven't gotten any like, ah, what's going on with Kyle Tucker. And it's just cause he's just (laughs) been like, just good enough not to garner any panic. But that's an interesting one, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm ready for it yet, but I probably need to be. Yeah, I'm My looking, gut is telling me yes. I, I brought that up. I think it was either Thursday or Friday, Scott, and I'm like, at what point do we move 
Corbin Carroll ahead of those names. Basically the same question. And, you know, obviously, you know, Alvarez can drop down a little bit with his injury going on the IL. But I think you can make a case for top five, right? Like Acuna, yeah. Tatis, Betts, well, and then I, mean, I get like you could make the case now, for Carroll what, over Betts. What were our pie in the sky hopes for Corbin Carroll coming in? We said best case scenario, he could do sort of what we expect Trey Turner to do. Yeah, and that's kind of seems to be what he's doing now. Yeah. Now you could look at the expected stats. Okay, the expected batting average is closer to two sixty than three hundred. But, you know, you also look at the minor league track record and this guy was basically this at every level. And, you know, maybe it's taken him a couple months to really get up to speed in the majors, too. Not that he was struggling early on, but maybe this is him taking off and becoming who Corbin Carroll was always meant to be. Now, you know, I'll point out, like you mentioned it, but he's outpacing his expected stats by a lot. He has a 404 Woba. He has a 350 expected Woba. 350 expected Woba is very good, but for example, Julio Rodriguez expected Woba is 345. So, you know, if if those two numbers converge, I'll still lean towards the guy who was already a first-round caliber player last year, although certainly it's close. The other thing I would point out is just his numbers against non-fastballs are pretty grim. Uh, 283 expected Woba against breaking pitches, 272 against off-speed pitches. He's absolutely destroying fastballs. He has a 498 Woba against fastballs, 368 batting average, 728 slugging percentage, does Corbin Carroll against fastballs. But, you know, this could be a situation, could be, where there's an adjustment coming and then it's, an adjustment to the adjustment. That's what it always is with young players. We've seen it with Julio Rodriguez. We've seen it with Bobby Witt. And it could just be that this is the peak for Corbin Carroll. And then there's, you know, what he becomes, what he eventually becomes could just be this once he adjusts. But, you know, I I do think there are, there's likely to be some regression moving forward. It's look. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about him in the context of first round players now. Yeah. So, like, you start nitpicking. This is not a knock on Corbin Carroll. I think he's a first-round player now. It's just, like, and really, in terms of, like, what's actionable, is anybody really trading Juan Soto for Corbin Carroll? Is anybody trading Corbin Carroll for Juan Soto? I don't think there's anything actionable there, you know? So, it's like, we're splitting hairs in a way that doesn't really matter. The point is, the fact that he's even in this conversation means that he's living up to the 85th to 90th percentile expectations. Yep. And the last thing I'll point out on Corbin Carroll makes a lot of contact, 19% strikeout rate. I wonder if he'll become a player the same way that we look at a Jose Altuve where every year he just outperforms his expected numbers and his stat cast numbers because Corbin Carroll does pull the ball a lot, a near 47% pull rate. And we've said that for... You know, I guess smaller guys like this in the past, too, where he just gets the most out of his skill set because he pulls the ball as much as he does. But it's so interesting because when you actually look at his spray chart, it doesn't look like Jose Altuve at all. Interesting. More than half of his home runs have gone to the opposite field. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six, two to center. Yeah, it's been a very equitable distribution. All right. So it's I don't know. He's awesome. He's really, really good. Yes, he is. Corbin Carroll and hopefully Gunnar Henderson. We're talking about him. 
probably not in the same light, but uh, hopefully does and use this as like a launching pad for the rest of the season. Gunnar Henderson, the longest home run that has ever been hit to Utah Street at Oriole Park at Camden Yards through 462 feet. That's uh, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah, sure is. Uh, all right, let's take our first break. And when we return, we'll talk about another player who's young and really awesome. We'll do that right after this. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on fantasy baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, and are you interested in buying some Fantasy Baseball Today merch? Well, now you can at the Paramount Shop, which offers a mountain of merch from the Paramount shows and movies that you love. Scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on YouTube or head to ParamountShop.com. Paramount Shop, where products are paramount. I know that we've talked a lot about Ellie De La Cruz so far in his, you know, short stint up here in the majors. He's only played seven games. He just, you know, continues to amaze. He had four more hits this weekend, including uh, two more steals. And Chris, I just kind of wanted to get a, I guess, a cliff notes, spark notes, your early takeaways from Ellie De La Cruz and what he's done. Because you know, power and speed has been there. But he also has 10 strikeouts, which equates to a 37% strikeout rate. What do you think? I'm really, really happy that we only had to live like a month in an O'Neill Cruz-less world. Because Ellie <laughs> De La Cruz is just like a carbon copy of O'Neill Cruz, and I love it. He has the two hardest hit balls by a Cincinnati Reds player this season. He has the, I think it's at least the six fastest sprint speeds by a Reds player so far this season. I'm not sure if it's more, but it's at least the top six. And the two hardest thrown balls by a major league infielder this season. I think one of them reached 97 miles per hour. He is ludicrously tooled up. And also, I think you can reasonably call him a sell-high candidate right now because he's the most exciting player in baseball and he's must-see TV and people are dropping 500 plus uh, dollars in fab on him in high stakes leagues. And this is a guy who's going to strike out a lot, no matter what, there's going to be a lot of strikeouts here. And it could be a point where he just can't overcome it. 
It's entirely possible. We saw it with O'Neill Cruz last season. Everything we've said about Ellie De La Cruz this season was true about O'Neill Cruz last season. He was arguably the most tooled up player in baseball, and he kind of stunk for two months before he figured it out. So that could be what happens with Ellie De La Cruz. But you want him on your team. It's, yeah, way, well, it's way more fun to not sell high on Ellie De La Cruz, isn't it? Like, I, I, I mean, mean like, I, I just wonder how Cole high you would have to sell. Because I am, he got called up and I immediately moved him up to ninth in my shortstop rankings. And mm-hmm. one through eight in shortstop are awfully good players. You know, like eighth is... I, I, like I, I in, in in categories leagues, I immediately had him ahead of Xander Bogarts, for yep. instance. So, um, I mean that's a top sixty player, probably maybe right. top fifty. Right. So you'll have to get somebody real, and I, I'm not opposed to it, but I think anything less than that, you're really risking missing out on huge production because you know I, I, the O'Neill Cruz comparison is apt, and they're often compared. I do think Ellie De La Cruz is just a little bit better. Just a little bit better. It, it's hard to say that because we've already used such superlatives for O'Neill Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz seems just a little bit better at everything. And the fact he managed to maintain very high batting averages in the minors despite striking out at a high rate there too. I, I've often made the argument that a guy who strikes out more than 30% of the time in the majors is probably doomed to a low batting average at worst. But the way to get around that is with premium exit velocity, superlative exit velocities. And I don't think we know what it takes for somebody who hits the ball as Ellie De La Cruz does. I don't know what it would take to stop that in terms of strikeout rate because we've never seen somebody who hits this ball before, this hard before. Except maybe O'Neill Cruz, but again... Ellie De La Cruz seems a little bit more consistent with how hard he hits the ball even than that. Mm-hmm. And in my two 15-team Roto Leagues where Fab already ran, Ellie De La Cruz went for 690 690 <laughs> out of a $1,000 budget, so 69%. And he went for 377 in the other one, so... Yeah, I don't know. 308 and 580 in in my two ones that just ran. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be all over the place, but yeah, ranging anywhere from 30% to uh, as high as nearly 70% yeah. is what I've I mean, seen. I mean, so he's already he's already 95% rostered on CBS, so right. like Yeah, that's quite- it's just because Tout Wars and TGFBI have weird NFBC have weird uh Weird rules about when players can and can't be added. I yeah. think is is the only and, reason and why Taylor Cruz is available. And, and most leagues have daily pickups in some way, so you know it's, it's only relevant if you're in a weekly uh, Fab Run league or waiver wire run league that mm-hmm. it's still out there. But the no, I I'd throw I'd throw as much as you possibly can throw at him without putting yourself in a position where, position where you can never pick up anybody again. Like if, if, if zero bids are allowed in your league, throw everything at him and just rely on zero dollar <laughs> the rest of the year. If you have to yeah. make a $1 bid to get anybody minimum $1 bid, then, you know, maybe leave yourself with a couple dozen dollars, but that's, that's it. All right, let's get into the waiver wire pitchers. And this first group, was going to include A.J. Smith-Chauver and Andrew Abbott. The other name I had in here was Brian Bayo, who now has back-to-back quality starts. He pitched seven innings of two-run ball with just three strikeouts uh, at the Yankees. He's down to a 378 ERA. He does have a pretty high whip, 1.34, nearly a strikeout per inning. 
uh, has been pitching much better as of late. Uh, Chris, since you had the skepticism on uh, this group of pitchers, would you put Brian Bayo at the top ahead of Smith Chauver and Andrew Abbott? I think he's right in that same group. I, I think there are things to like about Brian Bayo, but I don't know. He he throws hard, but he doesn't get a lot of whiffs. I, I, he doesn't have like consistency with his breaking pitches. Even today's game against a very bad Yankees lineup, you got three strikeouts and walked two over seven innings. So it's like, was he actually good or was it just that nobody on the Yankees can hit? I mean, DJ LeMayhew has like a 30% strikeout rate right now. Like that's, that's it's a, it's a rough time yeah. in I'm New gonna York. Put, I'm going to put Bayo ahead of those other two because I think, you know, he's, he's an extreme ground ball pitcher, at least close to the level Framber Valdez is. And among what we've seen in the majors so far between Abbott, Smith, Shaver, and Bayo, Bayo's changeup appears to be the, the best swing and miss pitch of the three of them. So I, I think he has them beat on two fronts, and I think he's close to – I think Bayo's potentially close to having like a, a real breakthrough that makes you wish you had already picked him up. So I'm, I'm going to say Bayo, Bayo over those other two. And Bayo going up against the Yankees again this week without Aaron Judge, so pretty good matchup for him as well. Waiver Wire Pitchers Part 2. Domingo Herman has turned in another quality start. He was up against the Red Sox. Six innings of one-run ball with five strikeouts. He's got the ERA down to 3.49 with a .99 whip. Josiah Gray had a solid start at the Braves. Five innings of one-run ball, six strikeouts with 18 swinging strikes on 96 pitches. And Braxton Garrett... Keeps racking up the whiffs. I know he's not getting quality starts. He doesn't go six innings, but five and a third shutout, nine strikeouts to one walk, 14 swinging strikes at the White Sox this weekend. Uh, Scott, how would you rank this group? Braxton Garrett, Josiah Gray, and Domingo Herman. I will go Herman first. And then I will go... I guess I'll go Garrett, just because the, the, the more we see of Josiah Gray, the less there appears to be to like he goes deeper into games than Garrett. Like that's the biggest knock on Braxton Garrett is I think uh, he's only had one start this year where he's gone six innings. And that's kind of a big deal if you're talking about making a fantasy impact, but uh, over his last, uh, I guess you have the number here, last seven starts, the 289 ERA and, and also like a 16% swinging strike rate during that stretch. Oh, actually, okay, this is what I have. Last six starts for Braxton Garrett. 225 ERA, 104 whip, 16% swinging strike rate, mostly on the strength of that slider. He's introduced a cutter to his arsenal that seemed to help him take off in some way. It doesn't look like a big swing and miss pitch on its own, but it's helped. I think it's helped bring out the best of the slider and make it so he gets more whiffs with that. Um, so I'm... I'm interested in Braxton Garrett because I like the way he's trending and yet I don't think because he tends to have these five inning starts I don't think he's been particularly useful yet I think it's a it's a low ceiling high floor play with with Braxton Garrett and I don't know what the Marlins are going to do about Trevor Rogers who had a setback this week but it was a non-throwing shoulder and it seems like he could still be back within the next week or so and so I think they should just go with a six-man rotation. I think it would be incredibly stupid if they sent Yuri Perez down. I don't think Braxton Garrett's going to get sent down, so we'll see. But I would probably rather have him than Armand or Josiah Gray just because 
I feel like he's a little more predictable, right? He's basically, he's had the one horrible start that came against the, the Braves where they had, I think 14 hits and 11 runs outside of that. His ERA is like two, six or something. Mm-hmm. Braxton Garrett's been actually been really good this season. Um, so I think just because I don't have much trust in Herman or or Josiah Gray, both of them, you know, the peripherals suggest that they're more like four, five pitchers than you know, mid threes. So I would just oh, kind of go with I Garrett mean, there. Herman gets strikeouts at least. He gets and, some strikeouts, but he's and, he's below one per per inning, right? And Herman yeah. has a point nine nine whip on the year. Yeah, that's Josiah Gray's got to be a one point like the. Josiah doesn't That's get fair. strikeouts at a good rate, and his walk rate is now uh, 4.6 per nine. Yeah, his whip's over 1.4. Yeah. I don't know how Josiah Gray still has a three ERA. I really... Yeah, his, his quality really of contact think. metrics are much improved this season, but yeah, there's, there's a reckoning coming for yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's move over to waiver wire pitchers part three. Obviously, there's a lot of names emerging every weekend, and Kyle Hendricks, it took us nearly 35 minutes here to get to him, but the reason being is maybe we just don't buy it. Even though it was a fantastic start, and he took a no-hitter into the eighth inning at the San Francisco Giants, he allowed one hit, one walk, three strikeouts over those eight innings, he only had six swinging strikes, he gave up eight hard hits in this game, uh, threw four starts, Kyle Hendricks has a 3.09 ERA and a 1.07 whip, Ranger Suarez had a great start up against the Dodgers. Six innings of one-run ball, eight strikeouts, and 14 swinging strikes for him in that one. At some point, I guess we have to kind of take Julio Tehran seriously, the way that he's pitching Mm. up against the Oakland A's. (laughs) Seven innings, one run, six strikeouts with 12 swinging strikes in that one. And Taiwan Walker, I just want to point this out. Two strong starts in a row where his velocity has been way up in both of them. And uh, yeah, his previous start, seven shutout innings against the Tigers. And over the weekend, he faced the Dodgers, five shutout innings with five strikeouts there. So it's like kind of interesting. And he's at the Oakland A's this week as well. Uh, Chris, your latest thoughts on vintage Kyle Hendricks, Ranger Suarez, Julio Tehran, and Taiwan Walker. Hey, the red hot Oakland Athletics winners of four straight in a row. Woo! Or four in a row. JP, uh, JP got a win today. You see that? Yeah. I forget what his last name is. JP, Let's go. Sears. JP Sears. I've been, I've been uh, so bad about names this year. I was getting old, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I think Ranger Suarez is the most interesting of this group. We've seen him pitch at a relatively high level over the past couple of years. I I don't really have much interest in any of the other ones. Like Hendricks, it would be fun if he was good again, but I'm going to see more than, what is it, two good starts out of four. I know the overall ERA is pretty good, but it's it's not been like super great production overall. M- so, mostly yeah, Ra- on the strength of this start. Is yeah. the ERA and whip good? So Ranger Suarez, I think, would be the most interesting. 327 FIP, XERA, not really backing it up. So I don't expect him to be particularly good, but he's the most interesting in this group. I won't, I won't say a great group, one that you could trust, but I think it's intriguing. I, I think this is the group, and, and I, I, I'm willing to put all four pitchers in this group, Julio Tehran, um, certainly Taiwan Walker. Uh, the most questionable of them are Tehran and Hendricks, just because it's been a while since we've seen them mm-hmm. do anything worthwhile. But they're, they're all four in, in like a category of when they're at their best, they give you a lot of length. And so they can be they can be really useful to you for a time. 
Mm -hmm. but they're never like must start pitchers that you should rely on. Uh, you should rely on beyond what their last couple starts have been, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they're, they're, going to be added and dropped as needed throughout the year as they're going. And I think the biggest thing is I don't necessarily know that there's much that any of them are doing. That's super predictive moving forward. Like, I think it's just like sometimes pitchers like this pitch well, mm -hmm. and it, that's not to say that there's no reason for it. Like in Kyle Hendricks example, it's, his command was probably really, really good in this start. And that's always been the thing is he gets a lot of weak contact. He doesn't give up walks and it, you know, helps him overcome a lack of strikeout stuff. It's just, it's been a long time since we've seen him do that consistently enough. And I don't necessarily know that the fact that he did it this weekend means he's going to do it for the next five starts or 10 starts or even two starts. And the first time around, I mean, even, the Kyle Hendricks we knew 2020 previously, like it was such an odd type of pitcher, such an odd formula for success. Mm -hmm. Soft tosser. Who it was one of one. Right. And so it took me, you know, it took me like 50 starts into his career for me to actually buy into what he was doing. So how I, long is it going to take? Yeah. If he has a career resurgence here, how long is it going to take for me to fully trust in it? I, Kyle Hendricks was like one of the most profitable pitchers in fantasy for like five straight seasons because it was just like, he can't keep doing this. And then yeah. just, and it was because there are a handful of pitchers who just blow up the model, right? Like right. the XFIP model where it assumes, hey, most pitchers don't have that much control over the results on balls in play, strikeouts, walks, and home runs. That's what matter. And Kyle Hendricks is one of the very rare pitchers who actually did at his best. And maybe he's back to being that. It's just, it takes a really long time to know when that's a skill and when it's just noise. Mm -hmm. And especially in this environment, too, with the shift restrictions and being a pitcher who puts balls in play, it's this isn't the most ideal time to be a pitcher like that. So yeah. uh, just pointing that out once again. And uh, I think Hendricks's velocity, while he does not throw hard, it's like 88 miles per hour. It's actually up compared to where it has been. So we'll monitor and, and, and see, you know, if he could build off this. Obviously a great start here, but uh, not fully on board yet. The big news from the weekend, we got Pete Alonso and Jordan Alvarez on the IL. Let's start with some first base replacements. Uh, Pete Alonso dealing with a bone bruise and a sprain in his left wrist, expected to miss three to four weeks. We also had Vinny Pasquantino place on the IL on Saturday with right shoulder instability. So uh, we are in need of some first basemen. And I know, Scott, one of your sleeper hitters for this upcoming week was Nick Prado. We've talked a lot about Nolan Jones recently, who, I mean, he could potentially, regardless of which injury you're dealing with, he has first base and outfield eligibility on CBS. We spoke about him extensively on Friday. What does he do this weekend? Two more homers, another steal. His home run on Sunday, a walk-off shot, 472 feet. I mean, this guy has massive, massive power. It's just, can he make enough contact? That is the biggest question for Nolan Jones. Uh, the other most added first baseman right now, Lamont Wade. He's someone who plays up in a head-to-head -head points league. Uh, Luke Rayleigh has played very well over, I mean, really the whole season, but the past couple of weeks. The problem is that he does face three lefties, so um, is he going to play in those games this week? Probably not. And Owen Miller is a name that, you know, has just consistently produced this season. Five more hits this weekend, another steal on Friday. He is up to 50% rostered but only has five games this week. So, Scott, a lot of names that I'm throwing your way. I know, again, Prado was a sleeper hitter. 
Nolan Jones is emerging. Uh, and then three other names I threw out there, Lamont Wade, Luke Rayleigh, and Owen Miller. Well, if Lamont Wade is out there, I feel like that's the easy solution. I, I think there's a case that he's the most under-rostered hitter in fantasy right now. You've got a guy with a OBP over 400 who generally bats leadoff and, and hits for power. I mean, uh, I, I, I ran the numbers at one point last week in, his, in Lamont Wade's home run rate, as in home run per plate appearance, was very similar to Luis Robert over the last three years. So, like, that's that's an easy answer. That's that's somebody who, if you pick him up as a short-term replacement, very likely you just hold on to him the rest of the year. Uh, Nolan Jones is second on the list. I think he has the most upside of this group, especially playing in Colorado. I am worried by how much he's striking out, but he also, like, walked a ton in his minor league career. The power's certainly there. With The peak exit velocities are exactly what you want to see. Obviously has all the benefits of Coors Field, and he's even stolen four bases in a short time up. So that's a nice bonus too. I'm I would say I'm excited about Nolan Jones, regardless of whether you have a need at first base. And then the others, uh, I'm less interested in. Even Prado, I, I, Prado, excuse me. Even Prado, I think that's that's one where I want to emphasize the. You know, I, I, he is a sleeper for me for week 12, but he's not a sleeper for me for the rest of the season because I don't like a lot of the underlying metrics. He's hot. He has good matchups. Okay, you could go. You could roll with him this week if you need a first baseman. Don't think Owen Miller has a lot of upside. <sighs> Ryan Noda gets on base a lot, but I, I, I don't think he has a particularly high ceiling. And uh, Owen... And, and Luke Rayleigh just doesn't play with the consistency to matter in the majority of leagues. I think, you know, rot- rotisserie leagues, five outfielder leagues, okay. But, uh, but yeah, he sits a lot. There's a name that you didn't mention that I think I like more than anybody but Wade or Jones. I really like Jones. I, I'm very excited about what we've seen from him. Uh, career 888 OPS at the AAA level. He's got ridiculous uh, raw power. Would you like to hear the entire list of players with multiple home runs of at least 470 feet this season? (laughs) Now, granted, Ellie De La Cruz has not been in the majors for that long. Yeah. So, and Giancarlo Stanton was on the IL. Right. This is the entire list of players with multiple 470 plus foot home runs. Nolan Jones. (laughs) Pretty impressive. Yes, it's pretty that impressive. Is. He hit one 483 <laughs> feet, I think, on Thursday as well. Um, Especially since like half of Acuna's home runs are 450 yeah. feet or something. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. only got one over 470. Um, but yeah, Nolan Jones has 15 homers and nine stolen bases between AAA and the majors. And yeah, he was playing at Albuquerque. That's a very good offensive environment. But of course, Field's a pretty good offensive environment as well. So I like Nolan Jones. But the name that you didn't mention so far who I don't think we've mentioned on the podcast yet, but I really like is Kerry Carpenter, who had 30 homers at AAA last season, was off to a decent start uh, in April. I think he only hit like 214, but had like a 750 OPS, and then had multiple hits in every game since coming back from the IL this weekend. It was three games. He went 8 for 12, if my math is correct on that one, and he's up to an 847 OPS for the season. Small sample sizes, but... 
I I kind of like Kerry Carpenter. He was someone I liked a little bit as a sleeper coming in, and and what he's done so far is is pretty impressive. So I'm I'm pretty happy to to have him. I think I would take him over Luke Rayley, Owen Miller, uh, Ryan Noda. Chris, it's all right. I know you haven't been here for a while. It might be a little bit of a little bit of rust that you're shaking off here on the podcast. You jumped ahead, man. Kerry <laughs> well, Carpenter yeah. was in the outfield replacements. He doesn't have first base uh, eligibility. He's not a first baseman, and we aren't ah. talking about Jordan Alvarez yet. All right, I'm sorry. I'll leave the podcast. I'll leave. No, no, no. Uh. no. <laughs> uh, yes, I do like Kerry Carpenter uh, in deeper leagues as well. We'll get to him in just a little bit. I want to take our final break, uh, and then we will talk about the Jordan Alvarez injury and some of his replacements. We'll do that right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Big thanks to everybody here watching us live. 643 people. We do appreciate you. Make sure to hit that thumbs up, like this video, and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Jordan Alvarez was placed on the IL Friday with right oblique discomfort. Uh, we don't have a firm timetable, but as Scott pointed out, you know, four to six weeks. That's probably what we're looking at here. <laughs> no, there's some that it might be shorter than that. Uh, I, I saw over the weekend. They, they're not ruling out a minimal stay. I expect it'll be longer than a minimal stay, but maybe it'll end up being two to four weeks instead of four to six. I hope you're right. And I hope many people are, I know many people are agreeing uh, with that as well. Uh, some of your sleeper outfielders for this upcoming week, Scott, names that you uh, liked. Marcelo Zuna, he, we know he had a big May. So far, he's having a, a very good June as well, batting 393 with two home runs. Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario were also on your list. A few names that made some noise this weekend. Jock Peterson went 4-4 four for four on Friday and then hit a home run on Sunday. The problem is that he faces three lefties this week, so uh, maybe more of a long-term play. I don't know that you want to trust it this week. And Jack Sawinski had multiple hits and a homer in two of his past three games. Um, and he has six games this week. Only one lefty on the schedule. So Sawinski is solid. Names in deeper leagues. I, I thought that there was a lot of interesting ones. Chris, you mentioned Kerry Carpenter. Uh, Leody Tavares, two for two with a double dong on Friday. He's played really well over the past month or so. Uh, Will Brennan had two more multi-hit games this weekend and stole a base on Sunday. Dylan Carlson returned from the IL on Friday. He went three for three with a home run on Saturday. Tommy Pham playing more now that Pete Alonso was hurt and over his last seven games, uh, he's batting 333 with three homers and a steal. And Michael A. Taylor, yeah, used to play for uh, the Royals. Now he's with the Twins, mostly known for his defense. He quietly has nine homers and 11 steals this season. So I, I just picked him up in a few 15-team leagues because, you know, pretty desperate out here. Uh, but... Chris, anyone else other than Kerry Carpenter kind of catch your eye? Leody Tavares, Will Brennan, Dylan Carlson, Tommy Pham, and Michael A. Taylor. 
not necessarily Carlson. I mean, Tyler O'Neill is nearing a return from his injury. He could be back by the end of the month. So I think it's a, a short term ish thing for Carlson. Fam, I mean, I think he's still pretty good. I'm just not sure he's going to play every day moving forward. So I think there are those concerns. A guy who's rostered in the same number of leagues as Jock Peterson, who I like more than him, or Sawinski, uh, is Ezekiel Duran, who has a 900-plus pl- OPS since the start of May. He's been awesome, and the uh, StackHouse numbers mostly back it up. He's actually... 377 expected Woba right now for Ezekiel Duran. So really like what he's doing. Um, can't yeah. say I have much interest in Michael A. Taylor. Uh, deeper and, league, sorry, deeper one more name. I'm not the prospect guy, so I'm sorry for stepping on both Scott and Chris the Welsh's yeah, we're feet all, we're all here. Prospect but guys. Luis Matos has to get called up soon, right? He's been. It wasn't on my radar. I'd go for Colton Cowser over him. He's been outrageously not. hot lately. I think it's yeah. like three or four straight games with a home run, OPS over 1,000 since getting called up to AAA. Kind of looks like a like a mini Ronald Acuna when he swings. There's a there was a clip on my Twitter page the where I was trying to figure out who it was, and like four people immediately were like, "Yeah, it's Ronald Acuna's swing." Uh, so that's one, if you're looking to speculate in deeper leagues, maybe get ahead of a waiver wire. Uh, San Francisco Giants outfielder Luis Matos well, it was a name I wanted to bring up. Let's quickly run through some news and notes from the weekend. Oh, my gosh. It's, they're so, <laughs> like, we're 50 minutes in, and I'm, like, talking about news and notes. It's just like, there's so much stuff. Uh, anyway, let's get to it. Julio Arias did not start this weekend due to his hamstring giving him problems in a bullpen on Thursday. He'll throw one or two more bullpen sessions before beginning a rehab assignment that will, uh, I assume, come in the next couple of weeks. Chris Sale was transferred to the 60-day IL and was diagnosed with a stress reaction in his left scapula. He'll be shut down for three to four weeks and is not eligible for activation until August 2nd. I almost dropped him in TGFBI. I, he was dropped in my yeah. in, in NFBC main event league. There's no IL spots. He was dropped in my league, actually. Yeah, I, I've got like seven guys. I had seven guys on IL before uh, waivers ran this week. I almost dropped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did drop him in one of those no IL leagues. Yeah, yeah. It's Which I hate. I hate. I hate no IL leagues because they forced yes. me to drop Chris Sale. But that's. I did it. Yeah. Carlos Rodon faced live hitters for the second time on Sunday and will throw another live batting practice session. Thursday before potentially beginning a minor league rehab assignment. Lars Newbar felt lingering discomfort Thursday while trying to hit off a tee. Uh, the discomfort in his back, worth mentioning, he's been out since May 30th. Andres Jimenez left Sunday's game due to left leg tightness. Tyler O'Neill said Sunday that he, quote, sees the light at the end of the tunnel in his recovery from the lower back strain that has kept him on the IL since early May. He'll be reevaluated on Thursday. Uh, Chris mentioned this earlier, but Trevor Rogers was scratched from his rehab start Saturday due to discomfort in his non-throwing shoulder, uh, but could make another rehab start this week. There has been a lot of speculation that Yuri Perez could be the one that is sent down. Apparently, him and Trevor Rogers have been on the same start schedule uh, with Rogers mm-hmm. in the minors and Yuri Perez uh, in the majors. Yuri is 20 years old and. Uh, he only threw 77 innings in the minors last season. And I know Craig Mish, who is as plugged into the Marlins as anybody, basically speculated that they want Yuri Perez to be fresh later on in the season 
if they're going for like a playoff run or whatever it might be. So there's a real chance that Yuri Perez is going to get sent down. Um, just, just go to a six-man rotation. It's just yeah. like, if Yuri Perez throws another pitch in the minors this season, it's a disaster for the Marlins. Like, there's just, there's no way to justify that. I guess if you send him to the minors, you don't have to use a roster spot on him if you want to shut him down for a couple weeks. But, like, he should not throw a pitch in the minors. It just... The Marlins have a bunch. Jesus Lazardo has innings concerns. He's only ever thrown like 111 in a season. Trevor Rogers has never thrown a full season. Like they got a lot of guys that they got to worry about innings for. So just go with a six man rotation, have Sandy pitch every fifth day. And if they're trying to compete this year, you can argue. They're eight games over 500. They're second in the NL East. Like Yuri Perez. There's no reason you, you should be going for it right now. Yuri Perez. Helps that cause. Well, he has a 2.17 yes. ERA and six starts. You know, he's well, that's also why they have to preserve his innings, though, right? Yeah, yeah, like it, it could be it could be a why not both situation where they yeah. send him down to the minors for the minimum 10 days, don't have him throw a pitch. This is yes. this is, of, of course, is when Trevor Rogers is healthy and then bring him back as part of a six man rotation for fantasy, regardless of what the Marlins decide to do with Yuri Perez. Yuri Perez will be back pitching soon enough yeah so i'm not i'm I, not that concerned with it for fantasy. i'm letting myself start to believe that the marlins can make the playoffs this year and i just want it noted <laughs> june 12th 12 22 a.m i'm saying that on a podcast they're gonna lose seven <laughs> games in a row uh i you know, i thought about this today because they had another come from behind win in the ninth inning and i'm like the marlins kind of feel like that not Destiny team. It's the year but... of South Florida sports, baby. <laughs> you know what? FAU, UM, Dolphins made the playoffs. Heat and Panthers are going to lose in the finals, but that's okay. It was still fun. There, yeah. You're not, you're not wrong. I don't. I don't. I don't want to have hope. <laughs> there is something there. Uh, Kenta Maeda threw four scoreless innings in his latest rehab start at AAA. And somebody asked me this weekend: Would you rather stash Maeda or Trevor Rogers? I would rather stash Rogers. I think so too. I'm going to I'm going to say Maeda. Nah. But I'm not I, I don't think it's a high priority either one. Yeah. Yep. Bryce Miller had his start pushed back from Sunday to Monday, which now makes him a two-start pitcher. He's going up against the Marlins and White Sox. Scott, I know you have your uh, two-start pitcher rankings. Are you starting Bryce Miller? I do have him in the inv- advisable in most cases category, which is just above the you know, only in head-to-head points leagues category. It's dangerous. I understand his last two starts were dreadful. He's right there behind Luis Severino, who's in the same boat. But two starts with good matchups, it's just too tempting. I would lean yes on starting Bryce Miller. Amazing how quickly we go from historic start to, I don't know if you can start him in a two-star week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I... I, I hear it. I understand why. I mean, his past two starts have been really bad, but Marlins and White Sox. Oh yeah, I, I would exactly. Start. That's yeah. that's why I ultimately decided to put him where I did. I think you got not go with for a it. lot of confidence. Yep. Other players that went to the IL this weekend, uh, weekend, unfortunately, Liam Hendricks with right elbow inflammation, and expect Kyle uh, Kendall Graveman to see the majority of the save opportunities going forward. Though he did blow one on Sunday. Uh, so I guess him or Ronaldo Lopez, those are the names there. Charlie Blackman went to the IL with a fractured right hand, which should help the playing time of guys like Nolan Jones and Brenton Doyle and Randall Grichuk. Jorge Polanco with a hamstring strain, and uh, apparently this one is worse than the previous one. So uh, Edward Julian probably going to stick around with the Twins for quite some time. Jake Fraley with a right wrist contusion. Stuart Fairchild and Will Benson 
both stand to earn more playing time. Graham Ashcraft with a le- with a left calf contusion, and Angels reliever Ben Joyce with ulnar neuritis in his elbow. Two big pitcher questions here, and uh, we've got to talk about it because obviously Shane Bieber. I just feel like either I am really bad at timing up Shane Bieber or maybe we all are. I don't know. The question here, are we just bad at analyzing Shane Bieber? Last year, the start of the season, the velocity was down and it felt like we were just kind of writing him off like, oh, you know, this is the beginning of the end. And then he. Hey, 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 hey. I take exception to that. All right. I was fine with Bieber last year, but continue. I know we're running out of time. We are running out of time. Uh, Look, I've been telling people all season to sell high on Shane Bieber, and he goes out on Sunday uh, up against the Astros, seven shutout innings, nine strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes, and uh, he changed up the pitch mix a little bit in this one, and look, he still has a 3.29 ERA. Uh, I know that there are some troublesome signs, but Chris, your latest thoughts on Shane Bieber. Are we just bad at analyzing him? The thing that's frustrating is like, yeah, he changed up his, his pitch mix in this one in a way that I would not have wanted him to. He threw his four-seam fastball and his cutter more in this start. I think his usage combined for those two pitches was like, was it up near like 70%? His his slider and curveball were way down in this one. And those are not his best pitches. The slider and curveball are his best pitches. There was a piece in The Athletic about two weeks ago now where he there was a quote where he's like, he was asked, is your current pitch mix likely to be your pitch mix in August? And he said, no, I would bet against that. And he he's very open about how frustrated he's been about his lack of swings and misses about, you know, the, the iffy command that he's had. And so I don't know. The results have still been good. I, I don't really, I really don't know what to make of, of Shane Bieber right now. I'm going to spin this a different way. If you are, if you are somebody who has Shane Bieber, this start just did you a huge favor. You have another chance to sell high on him. It was probably the way to go. Yeah. His his uh, five starts prior to this one, and his, his ERA had gone from 261 to 357. It's hard to sell high on a pitcher with a 357 ERA. Now it's back in the low threes. This was this was his third start all year with more than four strikeouts for all the innings he's thrown. It was only the third time he had more than four strikeouts. The breaking balls are not getting the whiffs they did last mm-hmm. year, which allowed him to survive the dropping velocity and I think he's still very scary I'd be looking to sell do you still have him as a top 24 pitcher uh if he is he's right on the fringes and yeah. I'm you know it's just it's just kind of rank it's just legacy putting him there at this point mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah, know no, what it's the giving him the benefit holds, of the doubt. obviously yeah. and an emphasis is on the high when I say sell high obviously you're trying to you're just you're trying to capitalize on the fact he's still Shane Bieber in the eyes of some people and 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 not be there when it all comes crashing down. You're not trying to like unload him because, you know. Would you trade him for Dylan Cease? Well, that's that's a that's kind of a yes, I would. I I I have more of a confidence in Dylan Cease moving forward, but that's not a sell high trade in the purest sense. Mm-hmm. What about Joe Musgrove? Mm, I'm a little underwhelmed by that return. Last week on the podcast with the Welsh, I said that I would trade Bieber straight up for Logan Gilbert. Well, that doesn't look so great. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It, Logan Gilbert had his well, worst start of the season. It does not. I don't know that is wrong, though. I mean, like, who do I think is going to be better moving forward? 
it's close. It's a close call. Like certainly you take the Mitch me- Keller the, over Shane Bieber, right? The metrics favor Gilbert. I would take Mitch Keller. Pablo over Lopez? Shane Bieber. Yes. I don't, I don't know so. about I don't that. Think so. no, Logan think Webb? That. Yes. I would do that. I would take Webb. I think you could get Gilbert plus though. Like just the name of Shane Bieber and the oh, like the surface level numbers for Logan Gilbert have been underwhelming. Although his strikeout to walk rate and his swinging strike rate looks really good this year. So that's why I, I, I keep telling people to buy on Logan Gilbert, but it's kind I, of... I think um, my my theory, someone's got to go into the Mariners locker room and just like, it's okay to walk someone. Both him and George Kirby. I think like, I honestly think that's the biggest issue is that they're just like, they so badly want to not walk anyone that they end up leaving pitches in the zone and it's just like, it's okay to walk someone, guys. It's fine. Just let it happen. Yeah, that's that's my theory. Yeah, might be. Uh, the other big question here regarding a pitcher, Blake Snell. Is Blake Snell back? <laughs> sure looked like it this weekend at Coors Field. Seven innings of one-run ball, 12 strikeouts to zero walks, 17 swinging strikes on 85 pitches. And uh, the fastball velocity was up one mile per hour. That's now four straight where his fastball has averaged over 95 miles per hour. And during that time, he's allowed one earned run or fewer in each of those outings. So... Seems like there might be some kind of correlation there. And what's crazy is he's doing all of this without really utilizing his slider, which is arguably his best pitch. I mean, he threw a bunch of change-ups and curveballs in this start, and it worked. Uh, but, Scott, as we pointed out, like when we were you know, burying Snell earlier in the season, we always kind of did it with the caveat that he does this, and then he, he just kind of turns it on out of nowhere. And it kind of looks yeah. like that's what he's doing right now. Yeah, I mean, it's the unpredictability that made him so annoying because, like, he's either useless or he's dominant. And last three starts have been his best three starts, and each one has been better than the last. So it kind of seems like he's finding that gear he has in the second half of each of the last two years earlier this time, which is nice. Uh, I wouldn't be so eager to buy him right now, Blake Snell, but I wouldn't be so eager to sell him right now either. I think he's just kind of a sit back and see where it goes from here. All right. Well, uh, let's talk about some bullpen updates really quickly for the nationals this weekend. Uh, Kyle Finnegan on Friday, he entered in the eighth inning with a one run lead to face the heart of the Braves lineup. He gave up two runs, one earned took his fifth blown save and third loss. And uh, it seems like they were going to go to Hunter Harvey there in the ninth inning don't really have much confidence in Kyle Finnegan at this point for the Oakland A's Trevor May struck out one or two I didn't write it down but he picked up his second save of the season looked like he was the A's closer Uh, and then he pitched on Sunday pitched in the ninth inning with a five-run lead and uh, he looked really bad he walked three gave up a hit uh, and he actually had to be relieved by Sam Long so back to square one with the Oakland A's bullpen I think Sam Long got two saves in a row didn't he uh, I don't. Did he get one on Saturday? I thought he did. Let me make sure. But I, that's what I that's what I wrote earlier. Sam Long. Yes, you are correct. Yeah. He did that. Yep. Uh, but I s- assume Trevor May wasn't available for that one. He might not have because yeah, he was pitching on Friday for the Cubs uh, on Friday for the Cardinals rather. Excuse me. Um, Giovanni Gagos got the final four outs for his eighth save, and Ryan Helsley last pitched on. Wednesday, so it seems like he should have been available, but the Cardinals kind of, I guess, used both of those guys to get saves. For the Cubs on Friday, Mark Leiter Jr. entered in the seventh with two outs, a runner on third, and a two-run lead. He gave up a hit to Jock Peterson and then retired the next four batters. Albert Alzali then pitched a clean ninth inning for his third save, 
And the Cubs bullpen seems kind of wide open right now. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you do play in deeper leagues, Adbert Azlai is only 13% rostered. For the Braves on Saturday, Rysel Iglesias was unavailable. A.J. Minter uh, gave up a run but picked up his ninth save. For the Tigers on Sunday, Alex Lang entered with two outs in the seventh inning. Runners on first and third with a three-run lead. He struck out Emmanuel Rivera. He came back out for the eighth, and he actually gave up a run. Uh, And then Jason Foley got the ninth inning with a two-run lead. He promptly gave up four runs. (laughs) His second blown save and second loss. Scott, we recently speculated. You know, I, I brought up the name Jason Foley because I know Lang has struggled recently, but you know he got his opportunity and he was not good in that opportunity. Yeah, I kind of wish AJ Hinch would stop messing around with Alex Lang because he was cruising when he was purely the ninth inning guy, and then they they've started playing these leverage games with him. And I don't know. He's clearly the Tigers' best reliever in my mind, and he was a pretty reliable fantasy option for not being on such a great team before, before this recent stretch for the diamondbacks on Sunday, they had a two run lead in the ninth. Andrew Chafin came in for the save. He gave up a triple and a walk. Scott McGuff blast from the past, then closed it out for his second save. Uh, He has not allowed an earned run in his last 11 appearances, which spans 14 and two thirds innings, 22 strikeouts during that time. So, I don't He's know. coming back around. He is coming yeah. back around. Have you seen his ERA and whip lately? He's got like a <laughs> .87 whip. He's good. Yeah. Uh, and Miguel Castro has struggled as well. So I did have some bids on Scott McGuff in those uh, deeper category leagues on Sunday. For the White Sox, Kendall Graveman entered in the ninth with a two-run lead. He gave up three runs, two of those earned. He took his first blown save and third loss. On the other side, for the Marlins, uh, A.J. Puck then came in and pitched a scoreless ninth inning for his seventh save. To stream or not to stream, we'll start with Monday, and I don't really like anybody here. (laughs) Do you guys see anything you like? (laughs) I don't know. Nope. Uh, Uh, If you're forcing me to start somebody, it might actually be Zach Greinke against the Reds. I think that's the one, yeah. I don't love it, but I think it's (laughs) the best one. Imagining Zach Greinke's lack of velocity going up against Ellie De La Cruz's tons of exit <laughs> velocity just sounds and looks amazing in my head right now. On Tuesday, uh, does anyone stand out here? Oh, Edward Cabrera at the Mariners. Yep, absolutely. He's been awesome. The only he's making this start, right? Yeah, because he left I, the last start with a blister, but I haven't seen anything on it since. So I assume I looked this up on ESPN, but. They're kind of liberal in their matchups. They, yeah. they throw a lot of names out there. So I haven't seen any mention of, of who it would be if not. So I assume he... So that one, and I don't love Dean Kramer versus Toronto, but at home, I think he's an okay one. Mm-hmm. I think Cutter Crawford against the Rockies could turn out pretty yeah. well. That's, That's what I was looking be at, my too. second choice. Yeah. And though I liked Reese Olsen as a two-start sleeper this week, if you're going day by day, I don't know that Reese Olsen against the Braves is the best choice i agree completely we're gonna wrap there for scott and chris i am frank thanks as always for tuning in to fantasy baseball today please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on apple or spotify we'll be back back again tomorrow bye-bye
was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.